our second message in this series entitled Q&A, Questions and Answers. And in this series, we're trying to answer some questions that you guys gave us a few months ago to help us understand some things, to be informative and helpful. We've got some really good questions, and we really appreciate all you've done. Now, this is our third year to do Q&A, and this year, as you would expect, we received some repeat questions from people that we've answered before. And uh, repeat questions, we're not answering, we're just answering new questions, but we think those repeat questions are just as important, so that's why you have this. There's one of these in the pocket in front of you, or you saw one coming in, and this is a Q&A archive of the last three years, 16 and 17, last two years, that's right, this is the third time, of all the questions we've asked. And so you can just go online to click uh, listen, and you can find the message that answers these questions that you have on this card. Somebody told me last week that uh, they already did that and went and listened to some uh, messages and some questions and, and were helped by it. So I encourage you to do that. Some of the past messages were, uh, or some of the past questions I'll mention, just for example, are with these. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a great question. We answered that in 2017, message number two. How about this one? If I don't tithe, will I be cursed? To tithe is to give 10% of your income to your local church. And this person was asking, well, what about that? Because there's some strong verses about tithing. And we looked at that again last year in week one, 27 week one, 2017. And the very first question we ever answered in our first Q&A series was this. Here was our very first question. How do you understand a woman? Not an easy question, I'm telling you. Chad and I tackled that. Hopefully did, did a good job. That one's in 2016, message one. So go to our app or our website for these questions, and you'll find all that are on that list. Now, we'll use three principles in answering your questions. First off, if there's a clear, direct biblical reference, a verse in the Bible that speaks directly to your question, we go there and say, here's what we see from the Bible that really speaks directly to this. Sometimes there's a question that's maybe more general, and there's no specific Bible verse, but there's a biblical principle that addresses that question. The Bible is full of so many wonderful principles that help us in life, and we'll go with that. And if there's no verse or evident principle, but Chad and I still think we need to try to answer the question, we just honestly say, hey, this is our, our, our opinion. Take it or leave it. We, we try to be real honest with that, okay? All right, let's go with our second week now today and our first question. What is the book of Revelation all about? If you've read your Bible a little bit, you've noticed this book at the end. Maybe you've read it, and it's just weird. I mean, we're going to be real honest, okay? It's just a weird, strange, and yet fantastic and amazing and awesome book that's really, really challenging, and it's been real controversial over the years. Uh, some people think the book of Revelation was given to give us a roadmap of the future. Here's what's going to happen in the last days, this, 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 and this. And so some people have studied and studied and laid out this big chronology of events that they think are going to happen. Oh, well, the Bible in these verses, I think it's talking about this or about that. And so <clears throat> there is definitely some truth to the fact that Revelation does give us some things from the future, especially the truth about Jesus. Jesus is coming back to earth, and he won't come like he came the first time. 
First time, it was meek and mild, baby in a manger, right? No, no. This time, when he comes back to earth, it's going to be large and in charge. He's going to be on a white horse coming down from heaven with a name faithful and true on his thigh, and it's going to be a whole other ballgame. Well, we have that in the book of Revelation, and so that's very clear. But what's the main purpose? Why do we have it if it's not to tell us every little thing that's going to happen in the last days before Jesus comes back? What's its purpose? Well, let me tell you about the author. The author was the apostle John. He was the apostle who you could say was Jesus' best friend. They had a special friendship, and it was really cool. Well, John was the longest-lived apostle. He lived into his old age, and in the last part of the first century, in the 90s, roughly the middle 90s A.D., John was on exile because Christians all over the Mediterranean world were being persecuted. They were being thrown in jail. People from other religions hated them. And governments didn't like them talking about King Jesus and loving and serving Jesus. Uh, The Christians weren't trying to overthrow anything, but they were just perceived as a threat. And so all over the Mediterranean world, Christians were being persecuted. And John was in jail himself on this island, but God came to him and gave him this amazing vision that we call Revelation. And I believe this is why God mainly gave us this book. I believe God gave us Revelation to encourage us, to inspire us, to comfort us when times are tough. Picture yourself suffering for Christ in jail or whatever. And this letter comes to you that John the Apostle wrote, and it's been copied and sent all around the Mediterranean world. And someone comes to your jail cell and reads, hey, look what God gave us through John. And reads them this amazing thing. And at the end, even though a person may still be in jail, they'll be encouraged. They'll be like, yes, yes, God hasn't forgotten me. He still cares about me. I'm, I'm still his son or his daughter. And in the end, he's going to win. The whole world's going to know it. And in the meantime, he's going to give me strength to endure. That's what I believe is the major purpose for Revelation. Let me tell you a personal experience I had with this book. I've read it and studied it some, but I've never had this kind of experience. Years ago, my wife and I, the kids were traveling across Texas, and we had a long drive to go see her parents. And so as we're driving, I said, hey, let's listen to the book of Revelation. We've got time to listen to the whole thing, all 22 chapters of it. Let's listen to that. And that was back in the day when we had cassette tapes. Yeah, yeah, remember those? And half the group was going, what's a cassette tape? That, don't worry about it. That was a predecessor to the CD. It, at least it was after the eight-track tapes, right? You know. Anyway, we had the Bible on tape, and we started popping in those cassettes and driving and driving. And just the, uh, the power of this book of the Bible just really began to just touch our hearts. And I'll never forget, we're driving to her parents, and we drive in the driveway. And we come to a stop, and it's right at the end of the book. And Lori and I are just like, yes. I mean, it it had us celebrating. It had us rejoicing. It had us energized just listening to this awesome book. So I want us to give it a little try this morning, okay? I'm going to read a few verses from Revelation. Now, this is right at the end of the book. And in this section, all of mankind is being invited to get in on what God's doing, to join the family. The, The operative verb of these verses is come, Okay, so this is the end of the book of Revelation. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. 
He, talking about Jesus here, Jesus, who is the faithful witness to all these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So I encourage you that if you haven't read Revelation much, give it a shot. Try to read it in big chunks where you can read a bunch of chapters. Or maybe you drive to work and you drive 20, 30 minutes. It's a great book to listen to as you drive to work. And just let it impact you. Don't try to figure it all out so much, but just let it touch your heart. All right, question number two. How does God communicate with us? How does God communicate with us? You could ask a, another question, well, does God actually communicate with people? And I believe he does, and we're going to talk about that. But you may have wondered about this. Uh, have you ever heard people say, I heard God. God spoke to me. And you're like, mm, oh, um, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. I'm not so sure about that. And if, if God's speaking to you, how do you know it's his voice? You know, what, what if it's just you talking to yourself? Or what if it's the devil? I mean, how do you tell the difference? So we're going to talk about that a little bit, how God communicates with me and you. Look at this verse also from our great book of Revelation we looked at earlier. This is Jesus speaking, okay? Jesus says this, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is saying, Man, I'm knocking on your door. I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to be forgiven of your sin and have a relationship with God. Here I am knocking. He doesn't knock the door down, does he? He just knocks. And he says, if you hear my voice and open the door. So he's saying there's something God created in us that enables us to hear him speak to us. And Jesus is saying, if you hear me, ask me to come in, and we're going to sit down and talk. We're going to have a meal and hang out and share just like two friends. So... Hearing God's voice, I think we could say it's simply God communicating with me in some form or fashion, okay? I want to talk about a few ways God does that. How does God speak to us? Number one, through the Bible. God speaks to us through the Bible. Every follower of Jesus should be reading their Bible. It's between you and God, maybe how much you're reading, how often, but we should all be reading the Bible. It's not just a good book. It is the book. It is the literal word that God is speaking to us thousands and thousands of years from when the first part was written is still so, so relevant and powerful. So reading the Bible, God communicates with us. Now, on the other side of the coin, that was very objective, reading the information, so to speak. But on the other side of the coin, we have the Holy Spirit of God impresses our hearts. If you're a follower of Jesus, we learn from the Bible that his spirit lives within us, and so I can connect with God. He can speak to my heart. He can give me impressions. He can speak to me in, you know, just in words, just talking to me. And sometimes uh, it's more emotional. It's like my heart's being moved. Sometimes he's speaking to my mind with some answers. But God will speak to you and I if we'll listen. Like Jesus said, if you'll open the door, he'll speak to us through his Holy Spirit. Number three, God will speak to us through other people. If you're willing to listen, God will speak to you through other people, especially through those who know you the best and love you the most, who oftentimes you want to hear the least, <laughs> right? You know, family and friends like, I know, I know, you think I'm messing up, I know, I know. And that's God trying to tell you, you're messing up, don't go this way, you're, you're, you're going to suffer for it, get back on track. Uh, that's a correcting thing. Other things God uses people to do is to encourage you, it's all right, go on, or you're doing great. Or other things, we're going to talk about a specific example in a minute about others, but that's something that God can use to communicate to us. 
Number four, circumstances. Things going on in your life, God can use those to speak to you. You begin to recognize this situation and go, oh, there's something up here. This isn't just any old thing. Man, I'm just being drawn to this situation. I think maybe God's speaking to me. And maybe you see a need at work, and some guy's just going through a tough time. He's struggling, and you see it, and you're feeling more than just a little compassion. Oh, that's too bad. You're like, oh, man, that's, I, I'm thinking God wants me to go talk to the guy and encourage him a little bit. And so you do that because his spirit was impressing you through the circumstances you saw around you. Now, sometimes it can be your circumstances, and sometimes it can be good things. Sometimes it can be challenging things. I have a quote here from C.S. Lewis, one of our favorite writers. He wrote in the mid-1900s. He was an author and a lecturer and a speaker. Look what C.S. Lewis wrote about God speaking to us. First, he says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. Did you know that God wanted you to enjoy life? He wanted you to enjoy pleasure. And when you're enjoying a wholesome pleasure from God, you can share that experience with him. You can sense his joy when you're doing that. Uh, and I'm walking the golf course trying to get a little exercise and maybe hit a few good balls. Every now and then I hit a good one, and it's like, yes. And I'm like, what do you think, Lord? Hit it again. <laughs> you know, try, try the next one too. But as silly as that may seem, he does. He's involved in everything. He whispers in our pleasures. Look at the next phrase. He speaks to us in our conscience or in our mind. God speaks to us in our mind, gives us thoughts and directions and things to think about. But then look at this about our circumstances. He shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When you're hurting and going through a tough time, God is shouting at you saying, I love you. I'm here. I'm with you. Turn to me. Pray. Let me help. And so he shouts to us, I believe, in our circumstances when they're painful. And then finally, God can also speak to us through nature. Just being outside, guys, it's more than just getting some fresh air. You know, no, no, no. God's beauty, his creation, it, it ministers to us. It, it, it gives us a peace and uh, a joy and a happiness that comes because his creation glorifies him. You might be a beach guy and you love to go to the beach and just the waves roll it in. After a while, you're just soothed. You might be a mountain guy and you love to hike the mountains and get up there. Or you just may have a nice backyard and just enjoy what, what God has and the beauty of creation. So he speaks to us about his power and how great he is. Now, I want to use an example now of God speaking to us in a specific situation, okay? Let's say you're facing a decision. You've got a decision to make, and it's right there, and boy, you really want to get it right. And so you begin to pray, and you begin to think about it, and you're reading your Bible, and you begin to lean a direction, and you begin to think, man, I think this is where God's leading me. I'm feeling impressed to go this direction with this decision. So you think about it, and you're praying about it, but so far, it's just all in your head and in your heart, right? It's just subjective. And so what do you do with that, making a decision? Do you just pray and go with your best feeling? No, we've got help. Number one, back to the Bible, all right? God is going to guide you according to his word and his principles and his ways. Let's say, for, uh, for instance, you're um, having a conflict with your neighbor, all right? You're praying about it and asking God what you should do about it, and you hear this voice, murder your neighbor, Probably not God, actually, obviously not God, I'm just joking, but I mean, you hear things like that sometimes, kind of crazy, like, just go over there and slap the guy. Well, 
that's not God because in the Bible, God says to what? Love and to forgive, give people room, give people grace. And so it's a little more likely God might say, go over there and try to make up with a guy. <laughs> go over there and apologize for your part in the conflict. So he will never guide you against the Bible. If anyone ever says, man, I feel like God wants me to do this and it's clearly wrong, clearly against the Bible, they're missing it. Help them, okay? Now, here's one other way to confirm a decision you're making when you're trying to ask God to guide you. It's other people. I mentioned other people earlier. Well, here specifically, other people can help you figure out what God's directing you to do. Other people can sit and talk with you and after a while, they're like, okay, here's what I, I, I get that you're doing, and I'm kind of praying with you, and, and I, I get this. I get that this direction seems right to you. And God uses other people. God used other people outside our community to help us decide to do this. When we decided to start Ignite Church before we launched in March of 2015 for like a year, Chad and I were meeting and praying about it. Then we said, you know, this could be God. Let's get some advice. Let's go talk to some people. So we got to spend time with some amazing leaders in churches around the greater Houston area, uh, guys who had actually merged churches like we wanted to do and had done some similar things, and we got so much wisdom. And by the time the last meeting was over, we're like, this could work. This could work. We were so encouraged by these guys as they shared what they had done, what they had learned, and what they could sense from me and Chad as we shared our hearts and so we made this decision, and part of it was through the help of others outside the church as well as inside the two churches as well, of course, our leaders and, and people helping us make that decision. So God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. He loves you. He wants you to grow in hearing his voice and letting him speak to your heart. All right, number three. Here's a real practical question. What missionaries does Ignite support? What missionaries does Ignite support? Folks have heard, of course, that we support missionaries around the world. Let me ask a question before I answer that one. Why do we support missions? I mean, why do we send money all over the world and do other things? Why do we do that? Well, here's why. This is the Gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples for the last time before he's going to go back to heaven with the Father. So you could say he's giving them his marching orders. All right, This is called the Great Commission, this passage of Scripture we're going to read. Then Jesus came close to them and said, All the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you, and never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. Jesus is saying, guys, I'm going back to heaven to be with the Father. I'll be with you through the Holy Spirit. Go get them. Go, not stay, go, and all nations. God wants everyone to hear. In modern mission terminology, we say this. God wants every people group on earth to hear the gospel. He wants every people group, every, even if it's just a, a thousand people somewhere in the mountains that have their own language, God wants them to hear. And so this is why we go. And Jesus hasn't changed his mind in 2,000 years. He still wants us to go. He wants us to care enough to, quote, go, to do what we can. So what do we do at Ignite? We do four things. Number one, we send money. We send money to missionaries and people overseas to help them reach people. They have needs of their own, but then that money helps them reach people. Because of your generosity, people's lives are saved in Africa 
because your money has helped drill water wells where there wasn't good, healthy water, and now people aren't dying of bacterial infections from bad water because you give, and our missionary in Africa can drill a water well three, 400 feet deep. Isn't that cool? So our money supports them and helps them do the things God wants them to do. Now, uh, I mentioned earlier about the tithe, that it's God's will that I give 10% of my income to the local church. Well, we believe it's also God's will that the local church gives at least 10% of its income to the rest of the world outside of ourselves, kind of practice what we preach, right? And I'm so happy to tell you we've done that since day one. We give way more than 10% goes outside of this church around the world. So we give them money. Number two, we pray for them. We're going to do that in a second. We pray for these guys, that God will use them. They'll be successful. When they come to town occasionally from overseas, we host them, and, man, we just try to treat them like kings and show them how much we love them. And sometimes we go visit them in their foreign country just to say, hey, we wanted to come check out what's going on. Can I help anywhere? We just want to see with our own eyes how God is using you here in this place. We're in a number of places around the world. We're in Mexico, Africa, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, the Far East, and some of what is given here goes to local area ministries in our community, things like Young Life and Women's Pregnancy Center. Some of our money goes there right here in Bay City, outside our doors, but helping our community. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of missionaries around the world. First off, there's a guy, I can't tell you his name or his organization because it has to be kept secret. Because this man goes where it's illegal to preach the gospel. Did you know that there's a number of Muslim countries in the world where it's against the law on threat of death to preach anything but Islam? Millions and millions of people legally can't hear the gospel. But does that limit God? Can he not reach those people? Yeah, he still can, and he does different things. Well, one thing he does is he leads people to form organizations to go into these countries to help, like when there's a disaster, disaster relief company, or whatever. And so our guy that we support, that you support, I call him our secret agent, he goes into Muslim countries and helps them in practical ways, and then one-on-one shares the love of Jesus. It's risky, but he's prayerful and careful, and he's been doing it over 20 years and been very successful because he knows God wants those people to hear too. And it's really cool. So, again, that's why I can't tell you his name or his organization. He, he's real concerned about international security. But it's just cool to know we got a secret agent. Isn't that neat? Then there's another group called the Hope Center International in the country of the Philippines. And these guys do all kind of things. And one particular thing they do I love is that they feed needy children. There are literally thousands of children on the streets of the poor city, cities in the Philippines who could starve to death if somebody didn't help them. And your giving literally saves lives of children who need to eat every day. And so we give a good chunk of money to this organization in the Philippines, and you are keeping children alive. And then finally, let me mention a guy who I like to call him my wild man missionary. This guy is amazing. Look at the picture here. His name is Gideon Rousseau. He's in the bottom left here, okay? And he actually looks a lot cleaner in everything than he is. He's a tough, rough guy. Well, here, let me tell you about uh, Gideon. When uh, I got to go to the Philippines, and one of the things we did in the Philippines is go up into these isolated mountain villages on motorcycle, riding on the back of a motorcycle with a local motorcycle race guy 
who had earned some money taking people up the mountains. It took you hours and hours of bouncing and flying off the motorcycle, landing in the mud. It was crazy. Well, anyway, we're getting up in the mountains, and this guy Gideon joins us, and we get to know him, and he is from South Africa in the southern continent of Africa. And he's from that country, and he's here in the Philippines. He's got his own motorcycle, and, man, he's going up with us. One of our guys' motorcycles breaks down. Gideon puts it on the back of his motorcycle. I mean, manly man. And so we fell in love with this guy. He was just awesome. He had a bag of tools, and in his tools, he had a special pair of pliers. And he would use that pair of pliers to save people's lives by pulling their abscessed teeth. Do you know that that can kill you? That if you get an infection in your tooth bad enough, it becomes abscessed. That bacteria can go to your brain and kill you. It happens all the time in third world countries. Well, this guy, besides sharing the love of Jesus, pulls their bad teeth and, sell, and saves their life. So we decided, let's, let's support this guy. And so he was in the Philippines a while longer. Then he went to Cambodia. And this picture is not the Philippines. No, he's with some more motorcycle guys. And they're going into the jungles of Cambodia to share the gospel with isolated people groups. Your generosity supports that, and we love hearing from Gideon the cool stuff that God is using him to do. I want to give you a number as we wrap up this question. Here's the number. This is how many dollars have gone from Ignite Church to the rest of the world in the last three and a half years. We started in March 2015, so starting there till today, here's the number of dollars that have gone out. You ready for this? A hundred and eighty-three thousand dollars. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I'll give God a hand. Amen. So uh, your generosity matters. It matters a lot. It's even like life and death matters for some people around the world. So thanks for your giving. Let's pause and pray. Lord, thanks that we can be partnered with you fulfilling what Jesus told us to do in going to all the nations. Lord, we pray for these guys by name today for our secret agent. Can't pray for him by name, but we pray for him, that you guide him and guard him and protect him and continue to use him. Lord, for the guys in the Philippines who are feeding the starving children, Lord, bless them. Give them wisdom and direction. Thank you that we can help feed children. And Lord, for Gideon in Cambodia, Lord, protect him, strengthen him, and keep him going to share the love of Jesus. Lord, all the rest of our missionaries around the world, the things we support locally, Lord, we ask you to bless them all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last question, number four. What should I do when people in my office criticize others behind their backs? The old office gossip going on, right? Uh, You may not work in an office, but chances are you've been in situations where somebody's being discussed who isn't there, and what's being said isn't very nice. So what do you do in that situation? Excuse me. So what do you do? Well, Most importantly, here's what we need to all do. We need to realize that words are very important. The words we say are very, very important. You've heard the old saying, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, whoever came up with that is an idiot. (laughs) I'm sorry. Words are terribly difficult. I'm sorry. That was harsh, but they weren't right, okay? They weren't right. I mean, I'd rather you slap me than say some things to me. I mean, words can be so, so hurtful, but they can also be so, so helpful. I mean, I've had many times in my life where somebody just made my day, encouraging me, appreciating me a little or something. They send me a text praying for you today. I mean, just little, little words because God made us to be powerful 
like him with our words. Look at this passage in the book of James. We all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Yet if we are able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. And that means our character is mature and fully developed. What a powerful verse. This is, I believe, saying that if a person can really have self-control of their words and their conversation, they're showing signs of some mature character. All right? So it's a big deal, and it's not easy. It is not easy to always be in control of our words. So back to the office where the gossip's going on. What actually can you do? Well, number one, leave if you can. If something's going on like that and somebody's being criticized, there's nothing positive or life-giving. It's toxic. If you can walk away, just walk away. And people may notice and go, oh, well, you're, you know, whatever. But I'd rather somebody do that to me than just stay in a toxic atmosphere, okay? Sometimes you don't have a choice. You're stuck there. What can you do then? I want to encourage you, if you're stuck in a situation where toxic criticism is going on, decide that you, with your words, are only going to be kind and gracious. If you say anything at all, and of course, you don't have to say anything, but if you do, it's going to be kind and it's going to be gracious and trying to be helpful. All right, let's look at one verse and we'll wrap it up. This is talking about the power and the importance of our words. Ephesians chapter 5, though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, those who follow Jesus have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. I love that last phrase. A heart of thanks to God, saying positive and grateful things about God and about people. That's our language. So let's speak our language, brothers and sisters. Let's speak words of life and try to resist these critical situations. Okay, we're about to uh, be dismissed. In a second, we're going to stand and pray. Guests, again, thanks for coming. And if you take that completed Connect card by the cart, we'd love to give you a gift for that. And after I pray, as we do every Sunday, there will be teams up here near the stage who'd love to pray for you. Okay? You guys stand. As we're about to pray, I was praying about this morning uh, during this week, and I felt like it'd be good for us to focus in our praying right now on question number two. How does God communicate with us? Guys, he wants to communicate with every single one of us this week. And so I'm going to pray that God does that and that we hear it. We get it. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and how it speaks to our life and the things we've talked about today. And Lord, we need to hear your voice. We need to receive your communication. So this week, Father, I pray you would make yourself known to your people. Lord, through your word, through your spirit, through other people, through circumstances, through nature, and any other way, God. I pray there'd be people who'd have a new and fresh experience of hearing from you somehow, some way this week. Lord, bless us in our relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.